It's a Cartoon Revolution. I'm Deidre. And I'm Sonia. Why Cartoon Revolution? Because the cartoons we love aren't just for kids anymore. Cartoons have something to say and change to inspire, and we're here to break it down for you. Whether it's anime or Pixar, 2D or CG. Join us as we take cartoons too seriously and discover their hidden meanings and revolutionary ideas. Hello. Welcome, cartoon revolters. Revolters? <laughs> What's the, I don't, is there a word for that? Rebels? But that's not the same are, word. Are we advocating everyone to revolt? Let's do it. Anarchy! I, I always wondered if people thought this was like a communist podcast. Because like, you know, revolution. Oh. I mm. mean, it could be, you know, you never know. There are other types of revolution. Yeah, that's true. Let's not limit ourselves to communism. Yeah, specifically we're a cartoon one. So that's a type yes. now. <laughs> yeah. Go watch nice. cartoons. Be different. <laughs> yeah, be cool. Be edgy. Like our main character for today's discussion. So oh. anyways, before we get into that, though, you had a correction, right? I do have a correction to something I said Shame. last. Shame. Yeah. <laughs> no, we embrace it. People make mistakes. Yes. So my mistake true. was I talked about Wendell and Wilde and Jordan Peele. And I talked about it as if it was the next Leica movie, which it is not, turns out. That's actually a Netflix movie, Stop Motion, and Jordan Peele is in it. And the Leica movie that's coming out this year is actually Wildwood by Travis Knight. Okay. Oh, who's, sorry, not by Travis Knight, directed by Travis Knight. Okay. Yeah, this name sounds yeah. familiar. Like, I can see why you might have mistaken the two. But yeah, either way, w. yeah, either way, both sound really good. So before we get started, I also want to mention that May is AAPI Heritage Month, so Asian American Pacific Islander Month. And while this movie is about, you know, Canadian Asians, <laughs> that still mm -hmm. that still obviously relates. And so we'll be talking a lot about Asian American and other Asian issues. And uh, yeah, definitely encourage you guys to look up some AAPI resources and nonprofits and support them this month if you have the means. Yeah, and I'll really quickly I'll also note that the AAPI uh, group is the fastest growing group in America, a uh, demographic group, but also the most diverse because Asia is really, really, really big. It is really big. <laughs> there are many people. The largest <laughs> continent, you may say. <laughs> yeah, so as much as we'll try to, you know, talk about some of those issues. Yeah, also note that, you know, there's obviously, we're obviously limited in how much we can discuss. And there's a lot of issues that this community faces. There's a lot of stratification. Not every community experiences the same issues as others, uh, but they are all equally deserving of support. So whatever, you know, local Asian American action group or Asian Canadian, whatever it is, action group is near you, definitely support them. All right. So today we're talking about Turning Red, which I'm really excited about. So just a quick introduction. This is a movie from Pixar. So Turning Red is directed by Domi Shi, who, by the way, is Pixar's first female solo director, which is kind of crazy. Can you believe that? Like 2022, <laughs> they've only had one. <laughs> That's nuts. I know. Um, yeah. Go her, though. I'm really happy for She's, her that's amazing she actually got a promotion after this movie good um, she deserves it there's a yeah there's a post about it that I don't remember all the details but 
she did get promoted again. Great. So get that's that awesome. money. Get that cash, yes. Domi. You deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> Women in <Anyways>. power. <laughs> yeah, we love it. Yeah, so Turning Guard just came out earlier this year and has been quite a sensation. According to Nielsen, the film scored 1.7 billion minutes of viewing in only three days, which is one of the best debuts for a film ever. I think Encanto just beat it, but this was a direct-to-streaming movie, so it's pretty amazing that it got that many views. Most people love the movie, however, it has gotten some controversy from very different sides and opinions one critic from Cinema Blend kind of notoriously said the film is too cultural and therefore unrelatable. Others have <laughs> expressed anger as well over a gay scene that was apparently cut from the film or several gay scenes, I think, that were cut from the film. Wait, uh, but wait, on the wait. other hand, why yeah, would the they film... be angry? Sorry, why would they be angry if the scene was cut? Because they wanted the representation and it came out around the same time as the Don't Say Gay Bill, which is like a huge controversy in Florida right now basically criminalizing educators for for talking about gay issues or teaching about gay identity to kids. So yeah, Disney has been in like a hotbed of controversy over their, you know, treatment of gay issues and LGBT rights and stuff. Yeah. So I kind of understand that. Yeah, I thought you meant that people were mad that there was a gay scene, but all right, great. No, on the other (laughs) hand, yeah, yeah. No, I see, I see your confusion. Yeah, that's why it's kind of crazy. There's controversy on like all sides, people who think it's too cultural, people who think it's not gay enough, you know? So there's, there's a reason why been a lot of discourse, but on the other hand, it has also been praised for being an unusual and much needed dive into concepts like puberty, growing up in an immigrant family, and also setting boundaries with parents. Yeah, it's, it's a really great film. Just a brief summary, Turning Red follows Maylin Lee, a 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian girl who tries very hard to be her mother's perfect, obedient daughter. But after an extremely embarrassing incident, <laughs> so embarrassing, in which her mom discovers her interest in a boy, she wakes up as a giant red panda and continues to turn into that form whenever she experiences strong emotions. And then, of course, it's later revealed that this is something that happens to all the women in her family due to her ancient ancestor, Sun Yi's choice to become a red panda to protect her people. And all of this comes into conflict when her mother pressures pressures her to undergo a ritual to sever the spirit and stop the changes. Lots to talk about here, lots to unpack. But my first question is, did you ever have a boy band phase? And be honest, and which was your fave? Tell me about it. I'm going to disappoint you because I really, (laughs) I did not have a boy band phase, but it was really interesting watching everyone else around me have it. I was always kind of the odd one in that I was just the person who was like, I want to look at insects now and dogs and mm-hmm. let's look at the animals and wow you weirdo <laughs> I you know they loved they loved animals too but I I just had like a different and maybe more categorical way of looking at those things and but right. I did yeah. enjoy being around my friends who were talking about it I just wasn't that interested in learning more <laughs> <laughs> No I I'm with you I actually was very similar I had like right when Jonas Brothers was a huge sensation. That's the main boy band that I think of when I was growing up. I know a bunch of my friends were obsessed and I was just kind of I would kind of just not be interested in it because I wanted to be cool. I was like one of those wears (laughs) high top converse girls with the edgy personality who's not interested in the popular stuff. 
like looking back now, obviously that's super cringe in itself. And I probably, I think I really did think that they were really cute, (laughs) but I just didn't want to be like mainstream. So actually my answer is very similar too. I did not really have a phase, but I, I do consider the Jonas Brothers as being a huge cultural sensation from when I was, I guess the same age as Maitland in this film. But yeah, it's kind of fun to talk about. And yeah, the reason I ask for anyone who's confused is there's a band called Four Town, which is very important to the main characters in this show. And it's kind of the reason or part of the reason why the main character, Maylin, decides to keep her red panda spirit. And it is also something that kind of divides her from her mom. So yeah, I guess we're both boring and similar in that way. (laughs) Yeah. I think I, it was such a cultural, yeah, phenomenon. And and Four Town really draws from the whole like NSYNC. What are other boy bands? Backstreet Boys. Yeah, yeah. I I will say though BTS because now. my mom worked at BMG and for for a while, and that is more like what the UK BMG? market. They they distribute okay, and. Okay manage bands and she like managed the bands that would come to Indonesia Mm. and or like organize their stay basically so I actually grew up hearing more Westlife and I never really heard Backstreet Boys until I came to the U.S. and I was around more Americanized people yeah I think for me it was just like Jonas Brothers I know there was like the Naked Brothers band or something like that on Nickelodeon. The Bare Naked Ladies. I don't, that's no, that's a different one. I don't know why there's so many okay. naked bands. <laughs> naked, but just the naked like people. That. The Naked Brothers band, I think it was a show on Nickelodeon or Disney Channel. I don't know. Um, Nickelodeon? But, oh, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. Something like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had no exposure to pretty much anything else. I, I think, I mean, that's all I can remember. But now, of course, BTS is all the craze. And there's just definitely something in every, like it, some like inner core part of a lot of girls. But now I think everyone that just loves boy bands. Like there's something really exciting about how beautiful and optimistic and exciting their music is. Yeah, it's always been a staple. Um, yeah, upbeat. It's such too. a big market. Yeah, the Beatles yeah. were like that. Yeah, um, of course. Now it's... Uh, Historic. Yeah, the, the South Korean mm-hmm. market has really built their soft power through exactly uh, k-pop so yeah i'm telling you this this stuff is influential <laughs> mm-hmm. inspired a whole movie so how did you feel about this movie overall like what were your initial reactions i so it's i was watching it and i'm gonna be honest like i was so i like really got into it because of all the early 2000s references i was like Tamagotchi. Oh, oh my gosh, gosh. and the <laughs> yeah. fashion and and you know the way they talked and the fact that the phones Oh my yeah. gosh, I miss Nokia phones. You could literally throw it across the room <laughs> yeah. and it would be fine. Indestructible. <laughs> yeah, I used a Nokia phone for the longest time um, until like I, I was really slow on the uptake to get a smartphone, but eventually everyone had to do it. Yeah, me too. I thought it was the coolest person in the world because it had it was called the Pantech Duo and it had two keyboards. Okay. It had a what? Normal, what? It has like a you know a, a WASD whatever keyboard that you could use for texting. And it also had the like phone number keyboard. And that was like the coolest thing in the world, I thought, because everyone else only had one. They either had the keyboard or the numbers. And I had both. <laughs> it was just outrageously thick too. Like I could also probably throw it off a mountain and it would survive. But you're right. I love seeing those phones, like all the the razor style, the flip phone style. It's such a throwback. 
when will they come back? Come back. I know. Please bring it back. I know Nokia is working on a modular phone. I don't know if that's still going though. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, the so I was like really feeling the early two thousands vibe, mm -hmm. and at the end, I did cry because I really. <laughs> oh well. Okay. Look, I'm really sensitive, and I cry over everything just because I get overwhelmed so easily. But it this was a good oh emotional cry. But I would say like I wouldn't say it's like my favorite film. But I did yeah. definitely like it. And mm -hmm. this is why I like having another person for this project, for the podcast, because I'm watching things that I wouldn't normally watch. So agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah, I feel the same. I, I also really liked it. I think I'm also a sucker for any kind of family drama that has mystical components as well, which this film is perfectly related. I also thought it was just so universally relatable, just the way that it celebrates having some ugly part of yourself. In this case, it's Malin's red panda and her emotions and her wacky interests. And it just celebrates your ability to embrace that and make that a part of yourself, even if it's uncomfortable or grotesque in some way. And the fact that Malin made the decision to keep it at the end, I thought was confusing in a way but very very moving <laughs> and encouraging so so you're talking about this as a puberty storyline right yeah exactly so I think that's what most people relate it to when it comes to metaphors I mean it's just a, like a giant red thing and periods are mentioned which is crazy because I don't think I've ever which seen I that. loved yeah, yeah I've never seen that in any animated show I think or, well it, it comes up a lot maybe I'm assuming in big mouth but that's for adults but yeah it's right kind they of like do crazy things there yeah, it's like this new wave of shows that are embracing all of these really awkward concepts of puberty. Big Mouth, one of them. Also Sex Education, which is a great show, though it's not animated. But this was just so impressive. Like when, when she actually mentioned and brought pads, I was like, whoa. I had, I had to pause and just absorb that this was happening because I've never seen that before. And the idea of that happening as like, when I was that age. It's just, it's unbelievable. So I think it's a really great step in the right direction. And I'm glad it's there because there's so much shame around having periods, which which are completely natural. Yeah. And and there's this element of wanting to hide hide it. And when when Ming comes, so so Meilin's mother comes with the pads too. I was just mm. like, I just could relate to so much of the embarrassment that yes that May had. Not that my mother ever did that, but it's like you'd be so mortified like anyone would be so mortified <laughs> yeah yeah same um, here my mom was also mm -hmm. super chill but I still just had so much awkwardness about it I, I remember this is a personal story I guess but do it, <laughs> the first do it. time I ever went to the, the store alone to buy myself I, I think tampons I remember going to the checkout line and I was just nervous. I was trying to play it cool, even though I was so embarrassed to like be buying these things in public, which obviously everyone has to, it's totally normal. But I remember the cashier was a dude and I was just like so nervous about it. And then when I was, he was scanning my items, he handed it to me and he said, just looked me in the eye and said, good luck. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, how did he oh, know? God. Did he know I was so nervous and that this was my no. first time? Or like, what was happening? I was like, I was like, what do you mean? And then he just didn't answer and I ran away to like go use them in the bathroom. <laughs> but to this day, I'm just 
just the awkwardness embarrassment of that like still gives me so much cringe and it's just so sad that we feel so much awkwardness and cringe about these subjects because it's so normal so many of us have them and it's just a biological process that we need to deal with (laughs) yeah and I actually I've grown to like my period interesting yeah because so I don't I'm not taking birth control at the moment but when I take it I want to I don't know I would like to find some way to be able to keep my period I think if anything it's a reminder that there's some things out of our control and women have that kind of gift to be reminded of that every month but okay to be completely fair to other people I have very mild yeah like symptoms so it's a lot easier for me to say I I know people who've had to skip Mm -hmm. school Mm -hmm. and things because they just can't yeah uh, Yeah. can't handle it or not handle it but it's just really severe yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I also, I mean, I have actually like a syndrome that prevents my periods from coming naturally normally. So I'm I'm the same way. I embrace it now and try to celebrate as much as possible because they are a really important part of our whole body's just cycle. So, you know, everybody appreciate it, celebrate it like this movie. There's no shame (laughs) at all. Yeah, and shouldn't be. I, okay, I'll also say when I watched this, I was really... Okay, after afterwards, when I was reading the um, the articles and stuff, and when I read your notes, so just so everyone knows, we we have like a general outline that we write before we do this show. And I remember reading Sonia's notes, and I was like, "There's a puberty storyline." Like, I got <laughs> so confused <laughs> because I understood the, that the period was there in the first part, but I didn't understand that it was carried through. Because for me, the story was really about the mental health storyline. Like I saw a lot of her transformation and her decision to keep the panda, Maylin's, tied to mental health and intergenerational trauma and even looking at Ming's character as well and her reactions to things. So for me, the mental health string of it was what I saw all the way through and I just didn't see anything else. No, that's what I'm saying is that this story is so relatable and flexible. Yeah, I think the red panda is supposed to signify periods. It's mean it's like red. It, it is associated with periods. It has to do with emotions. It gets kind of worse and complicated in embarrassing situations, and is exacerbated by like her parents, specifically her mom's over involvement in her life. And there's just a lot of reasons why it has to do with puberty, but it's also can relate to anything else that has to do with growing pains and just a part of yourself that you want to hide. I I would imagine that a lot of people could relate to this through things like coming out or like experiencing their their first realization that they might be gay, for example, or gender dysmorphia, something like that, even a disability or an illness. There's a lot of things that we may come into or realize around that time period that are associated with puberty, but are not just about puberty, that our parent may try to suffocate or restrict or at least tell us to hide or mask in some way in society to protect us usually hopefully out of care and love for us and you know not not hatred or something like that over part of us but like I related to this not just because of puberty general but like weird things about myself that I didn't like as I was growing older like my excessive body hair and acne and all of these things I'm sure everyone has something but you can read a lot of it a lot of issues into this and that's why it's a really great metaphor. Yeah, something. So, okay. So a line that stuck with me was pretty early in the movie. And that was Ming talking about 
this gift of the red panda being passed down to the women of the family. And she, what she said was that what was a gift became an inconvenience. It's kind of, yeah, you're right. I, I thought about it in mental health ways, mm -hmm. kind of, for example, if we were to take like ADHD, which is something a lot of people have, and through the pandemic and working at home, a lot more people are realizing they have, but it's how there's so much anxiety and not on purpose of people trying to suppress their natural way in which their brain works because someone with ADHD, for example, right. needs to break up the work that they do and the brain also, it's an executive function disorder. So people have a difficult time prioritizing which tasks to do first because the brain is not recognizing that and also doesn't reward you with like serotonin and, and the hormones that would otherwise tell you, oh, oh, good job for doing this thing. So, but at the same time, if you think about ADHD at, at an evolutionary sense and even anxiety, it was very, I think the reason why it's so present in populations is because it's quite an advantageous trait evolutionarily to have someone in the in the group or the tribe that doesn't just focus on one thing all the time but can focus on multiple things and be able to see and and be aware of like maybe the small rustling in the grass that other people don't notice those are gifts and once we can really work to harness those as opposed to be pushing our brains and you know telling us that we have to fit a certain mold is really really great i mean that's Again, that's why we do this podcast is because watching cartoons is something that comes quite easily and trying to make something positive and build something creative out of this, which is really great. I yeah, feel. I love that. I think that's a really good way of putting it. And that quote distills that perfectly too. Like Maylin is told that this is something that is an inconvenience, something that she should hide, that she needs to control and then eventually get rid of. But instead, she chooses her own path and turns it kind of into like her superpower or like her specialty. And it's something that exactly. has a really positive effect on the people around her, despite what she's been told. All of her friends get closer to her. She finds that she's able to understand herself and her identity more. And it even just a lot of the kids in the school that previously thought she was weird come to love her in her panda form. That's something that, you know, she did all for herself with the support of her panda as opposed to just hiding it. So I think you're totally right. This movie, that's really the thesis of this movie is that the weird parts of you that you're embarrassed about that maybe give us, you know, 2000s cringe or that other people say is weird. It's worth celebrating and turning into your superpower. Yeah, and there's definitely like that's where I think the cultural aspect comes into it, too. So for those of us who relate to Maylin's story, there's a privilege also in being able to express that part of ourselves because especially for, you know, minorities coming into a place where they're not part of the majority, I guess that's what a minority is, but <laughs> yeah, you Job. know what I'm saying. So I don't, <laughs> turns out, no, <laughs> yeah, so there's this pressure to be perfect and especially in, I don't want, even want to say Asian American cultures because there's a lot, there's, I think it extends to other minorities as well, where there's this mold of the model minority, basically that there's a particular minority that has like good traits and like excels at certain things, but it ends up in some ways helping, but also truly confining those minorities into a box. And to be able to, express yourself outside of that is really thanks to generations before kind of making way for that 
that generation of children and people to be able to actually say, this is me and actually have the time for self-discovery because that's something I think Malin's family, the other women haven't been able to have to the same extent, which I don't think is necessarily terrible, but in the context of where they live in Toronto and the type of the rest of the social culture there, it, it is, it's kind of at odds with each other. Right. That's so true. The model minority myth is such an awful stereotype that also pits minorities against each other. And it's just, it's so limiting, as you said. And you can see that really well in the way that Maylin's bedroom is portrayed and that all of the things she wants to hide from her mother, things like fan fiction and just weird merch that she and her friends have made are hidden underneath the bed, as well as, you know, all the fan stuff for Four Town. And that's just the way that she is able to protect her identity as her mother's perfect, obedient child who gets all of the best grades. And she does that by hiding all of the things that her mother would disapprove of, including the bad grades. <laughs> so right. I loved seeing that difference. Yeah, I think also with the, the in terms of the relatability of this like model minority and other minority types, quote unquote, it's, I think a lot of times we look at it in context of Western, like within the Western communities, yeah. right? Especially since this is, and these are where the films are being made. Um, at least a lot of cartoons are being made. But my family, we moved to we moved to a lot of different places. And for about two years, we were in the U.S., although I was very young. But really, we settled down here in Hong Kong. And that myth of like the type of minority construct is is still very prevalent here, especially having to do with Indonesians, where a lot of Indonesians here can only really come as domestic helpers. And there's even a lot of laws and exclusions of domestic helpers from being able to take part in, in employee benefits that mm -hmm. the rest of the population gets. Uh, my family didn't path. come here. Yeah, my family didn't come here under that. But the way that my sisters were treated when they were younger, the differences, being able to see that based on how they look was really interesting and having friends from other minorities such as the Indian community here in Hong Kong and how racism within the Hong Kong context affected them was very interesting as well. And yeah, so the, so I don't think you have to be Chinese in a Western culture to be able to relate to this. I think so many of us are have been transplanted to different parts of yeah. the world from where we originated. And that was Look, as, as someone whose family moved to places where we were almost always the minority, even within Asia, there's definitely a lot of pressure mm -hmm. and that well. intergenerational yeah. trauma. Yeah, it was within my family for sure. And mm -hmm. it, sorry, not was. It is, it's there, it's pre <laughs> present. But I think there's also a beauty in it as well if, if we're open to receiving it because there's so many different ways that we can see cultures that people of the majority just don't get a chance to see that easily. Yeah, exactly. I've I've also felt that confusion as a half white, half Asian person. People will treat me different based off of what they perceive me as more of. So I, you know, as when I'm kind of more coated white, usually in the winter when my skin is lighter, <laughs> like I'm just treated as any other cool creative, I don't know, white person who can pursue whatever they want. But when I'm perceived maybe as more South Asian, 
it's like, oh, you know, did you want to do this? Like be a doctor or like, did you face this pressure at home? Like were your parents super cutthroat on you? Did you have a tiger mom? All of these things. And it's, and it's just so weird (laughs) to to switch between those. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you bring up a really good point about, you know, this transplanting or immigration as a process brings out different kinds of pressures no matter where you are especially the pressure to perform well because a lot of times immigrants are moving because they're leaving something worse behind or because they're in pursuit of something better not not in all circumstances of course but you know migration is kind of a traumatic experience or it's a result of trauma whether it's you know war or economic insecurity So actually, there's a really good quote from this Vox article. It's stars turning red is an unlikely culture war battleground from Aja Romano. And she says many people are reading turning red as a narrative about intergenerational trauma. This can manifest as learned behaviors in response to oppression, abuse, or other challenges that are then passed down through the family or community, like May's family inheritance, until they become embedded and difficult to interrogate. It's also easy to see this narrative as a commentary on the way Asian diaspora children deal with the tremendous expectations they face to succeed, even societies where they face discrimination and alienation often silently. So I think this is a great quote because it portrays the ways in which trauma or change or migration, whatever it is, can be inherited and appear in different ways uh, among descendants. And this whole story is about inheritance. It's about family legacy from an ancient ancestor who became a panda. And so that kind of change, that trauma, that spirit of that ancestor carries forward through all of her descendants until it lands in to, to Meilin. Yeah, for a lot of communities, this trauma is a lot closer to the generation that is currently here. And for other communities, usually of the majority, but not always, it's it's a little further back. I mean, even with my family, my parents well my mom lived through two coups and my dad through one and my family have had to be evacuated from the country twice yeah. uh, when I was really young so I think a lot of this perfectionism comes from knowing where the family has been and the kind of gift that we're given based on the hardships and that's why we want to be so perfect that's why there's this pressure to be so perfect not to to burden parents and family where there's this sense of duty. And yet that suppression in this context, in, in this modern day context, can lead to a lot of conflict internally and within with parents. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think, for example, a lot of I think a lot of parents see kids as an opportunity to kind of redo Um, (laughs) their own you know past or or at least have some new beginning where wherein they can give their child all all the opportunities they never had so a lot of themselves get invested in that process and you find that a lot of parenting it's more about the parent than it is about the kid because they're trying to restructure your life or give more purpose to your life based off of what they lacked or what they wanted that they never had and you see that really well Right. You see that really well portrayed in this film in which Maylin's mom just keeps such a cock eye view on Maylin. And, uh, you know, it's always trying to make her life as best as possible, but through her own vision. And you see how a lot of that comes from her own relationship with her mother and the ways that she was never able to achieve that perfection that her mother wanted. 
So that has an effect on how she raises Maylin as well. And I really like how they they brought that closure together for all of the characters because it was never just about Maylin and her mom. It's about, of course, as we said, every single person in this saga, in this lineage. Yeah, and and so Maylin, and so in that ending scene where they're in the Sky Dome and Ming is this huge red panda. Oh my gosh, so big. <laughs> and the rest of the pandas are a lot smaller. I was reading somewhere that the original ending was supposed to be this big Godzilla fight between Mei and Ming. But I, I'm happy that they kept uh, Mei Lin as a smaller but still yeah. giant yeah. red panda. Um, I think symbolically the hurt that her mother feels yes. and her inability to create boundaries between not just Mei Lin and herself, but also herself and her mother, like the fact that a phone call could like reduce her to tears, mm-hmm. very relatable by the way, <laughs> has built this anger and frustration and is a reflection of her own inner turmoil. And this, yes, because of that turmoil, this, this reaction to be really, really controlling and, and an inability to see the effect of that controlling energy to the people around her including her husband, honestly, like he gets left behind so much (laughs) and he's doing so he's like doing all the domestic work, which is great. Yeah, I Um, love that. I think you're so right about her emotional turmoil or the way that she blunts her own emotions would result in a a larger, (laughs) more enraged panda. But your point about the dad, too, it's so it's so cool how much of a low key presence he had but he also had the most pivotal moment as well in and helping Maylin come to her decision to keep the panda so I really appreciated his involvement I, I thought he helped undo a lot of stereotypes because I feel there's a little bit of flirtation with the tiger mom stereotype coming from that mom but I feel like it it is explained with a lot of good context Whereas the dad, I think, undoes a lot of stereotypes and that he is in touch with his emotions and can speak really candidly with his daughter. And he also does a lot of the cooking, which goes against the ter- stereotype of like male Asian fathers not being in touch with emotions or able to connect with their kids and not being involved with the domestic work. So I really like that. I think it's interesting, too, because this I think the the model, this model daughter, as, as Ming is as not Ming, as Mei Lin is growing up she's coming to terms with the fact that the model daughter myth that she's upheld is as is not only on her mother but on herself as well for perpetuating it and i it's interesting to see her journey as she develops those boundaries because i think boundaries are a really important part of growing up and can be really difficult when you have all that pressure to be perfect to your parents because you love them and Maybe that love sometimes verges on toxic, but but that's even more reason why boundaries need to be in place. And really it's practice for, you know, being able to establish boundaries with people outside of the family as well, um, bringing into yeah. relationships, other re- relationships in the future. Yeah, I so agree. I think this movie does a really good job of portraying boundaries, why they're important and also why they're hardest with the people that you love most. So just to explain so that everyone understands what boundaries are, they're basically like a line you draw around yourself and rules that you establish for yourself that you want you and others to follow with you. So an example might be saying no 
for anything really. If someone requests something of you, like saying, being able to say no or telling people the truth about what makes you comfortable versus uncomfortable. So a great example is the scene in which Maylin wants to go to her fake mathletes event, which is actually a, an illicit party. <laughs> and her mom keeps <laughs> insisting, oh, I'll go with you. Like, I love to go. And even though Maylin keeps saying, oh, you don't have to, or like keep trying to push back very lightly. Her mom is very obstinate and she keeps saying that she'll go. And then Maylin finally says, but I don't want you to go. And that was clearly her stating as explicitly possible, her boundary that this was something she wanted to do alone and that she didn't want her mom's presence. And you can see the hurt that it causes her mom. And it's so sad to, to see, but it's also such an important scene and something that definitely needed to happen. Her mom was not picking up on the signals that Malin didn't want her to come. And so Malin needed to be very clear about that. And so that was a really good example of how to set boundaries. Uh, although she might have been able to say it a little bit more nicely. <laughs> no, I th I actually think it was it it was reasonable it was needed. because yeah, it was needed. yeah because as it's I think it makes sense with her character because it was bubbling up and her mother really wasn't understanding and yeah. I think a lot of times as children we can fear hurting our parents who we love I so know, much and, so and put on a pedestal sometimes but yeah. It, it's also like Maylin wasn't intending to hurt her mom. She just wanted she just wanted her mom to listen. Yeah. And I think that's fair. There's an article from The Nerdist by Sayaka Matsuoka. The name of the article is Turning Red. It's about Asian mental health, too. And there's a quote where she talks about the push and pull of dealing with mental health issues and how that is reflected in this like Asian immigrant story. And also how this perfectionism and how there's high rates, uh, according to the therapist, which I don't have a name, but it's in this article, if you want to read it, talks about how there's high rates of perfectionism, imposter syndrome, duty and obligation to the family, along with a mental health taboo about discussing mental health and how those combined can lead to, lead to higher suicide rates among those communities. And yeah. I mean, we, they don't talk about suicide here which, you know, probably wouldn't, it wouldn't really be appropriate. Mm. But I think it's it's still, you can if, if you can extrapolate the type of pressure that Maylin is seeing and if she didn't have her friends and she didn't have the this outside support and an understanding of how much she is loved and needed. And, and she I think she is quite strong in her, her view of herself because of this cultivation of her relationship with her friends, even though it's masked at home. I think relative to a lot of other kids who maybe don't have that support, it can be easier to mask outside and inside the home. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's totally where the trouble mm. can be. You really lose your way within when you hit those depressive points and yeah, really holding on to those relationships I know have helped me out of those. Mm. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think it's really highlighted by that scene when she fully starts to control her panda as I mentioned before like she thinks of her friends and the support and love they have for her and that helps her control herself and remain calm whereas when her mom is kind of needling on her and bothering her about it that actually activates the panda and it's not like Maylin doesn't love her mom she definitely does and her mom loves her too it's just that the kind of love that Maylin needed at this point in her life was not the one that her mom was giving her and it was kind of suffocating her instead of freeing her so it's also important for people 
that and I think this movie addresses as well to understand what kinds of love and support they need, what kinds of love and support they should show and return and where they can redirect some of that other attention in a healthier way, mainly with the mom in this film. I do. I follow an Instagram account called Consent Wizard, where they talk about boundaries as a way to actually boundaries are the way that you can love the other person and yourself at the same time. And without those boundaries, it'll feel like you're loving the other person, but your self-worth also crumbles. And that's why boundaries are so important. And you're inviting people to really love in a holistic way. And I think it's hard but and needed, yeah. and we need to practice more of it, but mm-hmm. but it, it it's actually really beautiful. Well, it takes a lot of courage to set a boundary like that, and it really does signify a lot of trust and respect for the other person when you're able to establish those and also respect the other person's boundaries. So yeah, I, I think that's really great. We, we love boundaries yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, frankly, if we're going to extrapolate it, if I were to extrapolate it to larger issues, I think if we had more leadership that kind of takes this concept into account, we could have a much better place. <laughs> yeah. I... Can I like talk about a little animal fact because we're of talking course. about so, so, red yeah, pandas so much? Okay, okay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> okay, so Sonia, what do you know about red pandas? Just even so. No, they stuff. are not actually pandas. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, no, actually no, n- not what? correct. They're not thought, that they're that's incorrect. Are they part I, of what family? Are they their raccoon family? Is that what it is? They are Something related like to they're actually in their own group, okay, okay. but they are more closely related to um, raccoons and weasels, I think. Mm. But and they are not related to bears. So, okay, um, but pandas are related to bears. No. Yes, panda okay. like the the big black oh, and white okay. pandas are bears. They're in the Ursidae family, and red pandas are in the. Okay, <laughs> um, Latin is a dead language, so I'm going to try to. This is why I had to look it up because. <laughs> Of how to say it. It's the Iluridae family. Okay. And they're they're the only members of that group. And okay. And red pandas were actually the first to be described by Western explorers. Not oh. so it's and they were the first ones to be considered pandas. And so oh. the the black and white panda was actually named in relation to the red panda. Oh, and, that's super interesting. Yeah, and both can be found in China, but the red panda is more in the southwestern towards the Himalayan areas, so they they tolerate colder temperatures better than than the the giant panda. Uh, but both eat bamboo, and it they're super cute and fluffy. And also, they are very cute. No, do not follow Instagram accounts where they keep red pandas as pets. Okay, just so we are clear, no trading of these <laughs> exotic animals. <laughs> it's terrible and we need them in our ecosystem. Nice. Yeah, it is definitely one of those like very popular cute animals. So I'm not surprised that people are trying to domesticate them. Stop doing that. Stay away from exotic animals. So I think with that, we are ready for our hot takes, Easter eggs, additional questions, whatever extra spicy tidbit you want to discuss. Do you have anything? Yeah, this one is actually a legitimate Easter egg. Okay. But Disney and Pixar. Pixar used to be independent of Disney, but 
Disney has procured it. Um, like many things. <laughs> yeah. So so movies like <laughs> yeah, and then but the movies are still CGI. So movies like Frozen and Moana and things like that. Those are Disney purely Disney properties. Um, okay. Pixar has m- movies like Toy Story and Coco and yeah. and those ones. So my Easter egg is that there is a pizza company that was showed that that made its appear very first appearance in Toy Story, the very first Pixar movie, and it has like this rocket on the top of the truck, and you can actually see that same truck as. Maylin is running through Toronto as a giant panda. She knocks into the truck at a certain point. And then also at Tyler's birthday party, you see all the pizza boxes have the name of that pizza company. And nice. I, I want pizza should... now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's like pizza pizza, space pizza, you know. Yeah, it's it's originally from Toy Story. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Pixar, they love those Easter eggs. There's always little tidbits from other movies and always one for the next movie as well. So I think there's uh, the next movie is Lightyear. It's about Buzz Lightyear. Right. And there's a sticker on one of the girls skateboards. Yeah. So there's a lot of really cool ones in in this episode, but I think the pizza one is the coolest. So thank you. Yeah. And it's called pizza planet. I just looked it up. Okay. Yeah. And it's in a lot of movies actually, if you look for it. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. I wanted to talk about the Pixar short bow. Have you seen it? Yes, I have. Yeah, I have. it's so cute. Yeah, so it's the same director. It's kind of the reason why Domi Shi got this directorial debut was she directed that short first, and it was really successful. It is about a woman who is also Chinese Canadian who is experiencing kind of empty nester syndrome. She really misses her son who's gone off and away, and she makes this bow, which is like you know a Chinese steamed bun. And it turns into this baby that she raises as a means of getting over her grief and sadness over missing her son. And then at the end, the son returns home. She, well, first she like eat, accidentally eats the bow and anger because it starts to behave like her son and, <laughs> and it tries to leave her. So she's really depressed because she just ate her second culinary son. <laughs> and then her real son comes and you can tell that there, there's some disagreement that divided them, but they eventually unite over their love of food and kind of rejoin as a, as a happy family again. But I love that short because... It, it I number one, I think it it portrays a relationship between food and family and love, which I really relate to because my parents are really good cooks and they also love food and they're always cooking for me and taking me out to eat food. And then I, I've just recently sort of started to learn how to cook and love to share that with friends because that's how I show my affection. But I just love that relationship. I thought it portrayed it so well but also just how feelings and family can get so deep and, and messy and, and just affect so much of our lives. And I just, I just, it's really cute. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that <laughs> short. It's, I also love, I love CGI where they really exaggerate certain parts and it yes. looks a little weird, but honestly, that reminds me of 2D cartoons where you're not trying to make it super realistic. You're really yeah. trying to create this, certain perspective mm-hmm. that is portrayed through the visual language mm. so I think that's cool yeah that's actually something Turning Red did a lot of I don't know if you noticed but 
there was clear anime influence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Of course you noticed. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, I just thought that was really cool because prior to this, a lot of Pixar movies had a very similar visual language. Like a lot of the faces looked very similar. A lot of the main characters had very specific body type and beauty features, but this movie really appended that mold. The A lot of the main characters are a little bit chubby. They're in that awkward puberty phase. They don't look perfect. And then there's this kind of wacky anime influence as well with a lot of their reactions and their expressive faces. And so I thought that was a really cool homage to like past anime, especially in the early 2000s, late 90s that the director... I Sailor Moon. Yeah, of course, <laughs> Sailor Moon. Fruits Basket. I'm actually watching the remake of yeah. that, but it's very similar to this kind of story. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was a really nice way of celebrating animation too in this movie in a way that's different from the previous Pixar movies. There, there's a great scene also where Mei Lin jumps up. This is right after the failed ceremony. Yeah. Um, to lock in her panda. And she jumps up and then behind her is the red moon. And that's really a so callback beautiful. to... The girl who leapt through time which is also oh that's a good yeah 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 and something i did was because you talked about how there's also like similar visual language to some of the older ones and i i was just also looking at the directors and it had a lot of the same directors which i think makes sense yeah. to why certain choices were made especially earlier on and i watched the credits for this movie and look the in so many animated projects still to this day there's tends to be a homogeneity between the people who are working behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And it's just a fact of of what it is. Um, The industry. You know, I I think it's very easy to say it's like bad or whatever, but I I think there's more complexity. It just just Mm -hmm. is what it is. But it's very interesting to see that this movie was so much more diverse going down the line and not just in the people who are working the lower, the lower, lower, quote unquote, lower ranked jobs but also in the leadership positions because sometimes it's even if if those those um i don't god i don't want to say lower but but smaller also doesn't seem right but you know like non-leadership positions there'll be Mm -hmm. diversity but then in the leadership positions there won't be so much and here at least across it was really interesting to see Mm -hmm. that across the board it's very rare yeah i think it's and you know it only takes you don't have to you can put it on 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 fast forward, but if you know you're interested, just take a look at the credits every now and again of your favorite animated movie. Yeah, I totally agree that that's a really good point, um, and mm-hmm. I think it, it really hit off well. And I'm really oh, glad this movie was able to exist because of that. Yeah, I guess I I wanted to ask because I guess we kind of touched on it maybe before we go. It's just the there was that 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 famous like movie review critic who talked about how this was too culturally specific of a movie yeah and that's a great way to end what do you think about yeah that? and god damn it i was gonna ask you no it's okay <laughs> <laughs> okay no okay, i have thoughts too <laughs> um so yeah i i mean that that guy took down the the review at a certain point i yeah, think really um, quickly for the company context. yeah so I, I mentioned it earlier but there was one critic I think it was from Cinema Blend, I want to say. Okay, yes, it is from Cinema Blend. Uh, His name was Sean O'Connell. And to be clear, he did really apologize. And I thought he did a good job of apologizing for what was clearly kind of a bad taste. (laughs) But he he his review is basically that 
Turning Red kind of wore him out and he thought that Pixar was taking a turn towards deeply personal and not sharing universal stories. And he just felt that he wasn't able to relate to this very specific film. And by that, I think he meant like culturally specific. So it it generated a lot of controversy and he has since retracted the statement. But yeah, I, I mean, my personal take was that, I mean, of course it's universal. It's literally about puberty and coming of age but even so it's okay to have films that are about a very like specific population even though I don't feel it's it's unrelatable as a result and it's not like we as minorities aren't told to constantly relate to the same white superheroes you know over and over again like that's not maybe not our narratives that we relate to and yet that's the mainstream that nobody questions as being relatable so yeah did you have any thoughts on that yeah 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 and I I think that's a really great point because part of of what films and the choice of projects that get chosen within the industry do is really as much as the audience is consuming these the the yeah the, as much as the audience are consuming this this medium the the leadership within these production companies also really drive what the audience gets to consume and and mm-hmm so much of what we've gotten before is is a little like culturally non-specific like even look at movies like uh like Aladdin for example like that is not <laughs> southeast asian i uh, not that is not, sorry not southeast asian that is not <laughs> middle asian eastern culture middle eastern. Oh. yeah it is not culturally specific um, at all because there's no culture that exists that it's related yeah to. and yet people were able to relate to it right like it yeah. wasn't a problem it's important and- to and they were able to relate to it because the main character was more light-skinned than the villains and the songs were very Western and the environment was very otherizing, which then made the hero hero stand out. Yeah, we all know why. <laughs> so I think that is a great way to contrast how systemic white supremacy and racism can, can trickle down through these mediums and not necessarily in a way that's meant to cause harm, but does anyway towards like what the population kind of internalizes. And that's why I think it's great to have culturally specific things. And not, now is a great time for it. I'm, I'm, I don't know that it would have been received in the same way, you know, all those years when yeah. Aladdin came out, for example. Mm-hmm. But you're also, it's like, it's good for people to relate to cultures that are not their own. I think it's very yeah, healthy because it's not actually, the cultural part is central to the character but you relate to so many other aspects of the characters as well right right like we talk about how you know the model minority myth the desire to be perfect a lot of that is related to being asian and immigrant but it's not not as if those concepts don't exist in other cultures as well like everyone kind of feels some part of that in some way and even if you don't it's good to experience and relate to what other cultures and communities may be experiencing because that's how you get to know other people and you reduce divides so yeah everyone should feel out of place at some point in time and if you don't yeah (laughs) keep looking (laughs) yeah I never went through puberty ever so therefore this should be canceled (laughs) yeah so it's it is interesting because there has been such a pushback And, and I looked at I mean, Pixar is based in Emeryville, California. It's it's a U.S.-based animation yeah, co- company that set their movie in Toronto. And it's interesting seeing the pushback that is happening in the U.S. against some more, I think, progressive 
like the, there's sorry, there's a lot more conservative. It seems like there's a lot of more conservative decisions being pushed up the courts lately. Yeah, that that really disenfranchise a lot of people. And it's mm-hmm. interesting that in like public culture, it it's kind of moving towards this more diversification. And I do think that pushback is part of that element that that's within the population where people are, there are people who are scared that the U.S. is becoming a majority minority country. People who are used to being in positions of of power and being scared of change, I think is maybe a good way to put it, because this is, this is change. I hope people can learn more about tolerance of different cultures through this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Even if it's just kids, <laughs> hopefully they grow up and they remember what they've watched. <laughs> yeah, or I mean, we did. Us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, we remember. Or like you, who's listening. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for watching this content and, you know, listening to us yammer on about mm-hmm. it for an hour. We really appreciate yeah. it. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed it and, you know, watch it wherever. I think it's on Disney Plus, Disney Plus. you know, and other places. And other we places, won't say. you know, <laughs> if you have to resort to, you know, yeah. unsavory decision making mm-hmm. to watch this film. You have allegedly, <laughs> yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks Thank for you. joining in. Bye. Bye. bye bye. Thanks for joining us on Cartoon Revolution. Episodes drop the first week of every month on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast platforms. Follow us on Instagram at cartoonrevolution.pod. That's cartoonrevolution.pod. Tell us what you're watching and share your hot takes with us music is from the musical ghost see you next time see you soon